Good morning to you and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Hong Kong company earnings come in pretty much better than expected. Russia's president says the country shouldn't isolate itself. Germany's economy slams into reverse and the yield on the 10-year bund drops below 1%. But Goldman Sachs says those yields won't stay down there. They do double. They go to 2%, which is the rate of inflation that the ECB targets. So we'll talk a little bit about Germany and Europe and uh, the ECB, whether or not it launches QE. That was Francesco Garzarelli of Goldman Sachs. Also in the headlines, Iraq's prime minister steps down. Coke takes a nearly 17 percent stake in Monster Beverage. Oil falls again. And Singapore's Tomasic buys stakes in JD.com and Cheetah Mobile. So a slew of big stories to tell you about over the next hour right here on Money for Nothing. First, a little tease to get us started. Our expectations for the uh, increase in tariff to be lower than what was projected in our development plan at the end of last year. So that's CLP Chief Richard Lancaster saying your electricity won't go up as much as they thought. Mr. Lancaster would join us in our studio shortly. And this little tease. We broke the ISIL siege of Mount Sinjar. We helped vulnerable people reach safety and we helped save many innocent lives. President Obama there on freeing Yazidis in Iraq. The United States was also pleased that the Iraqi Prime Minister Nouri al-Maliki had stepped down. Growth contracted in Germany, but markets were higher overnight, not only in Europe, but also in the United States. Investors are anticipating QE in Europe. History in the last few years have told you never underestimate Draghi. <laughs> he's got a, a tendency to surprise, he's got a tendency to deliver, if anything, over-deliver de- over as well. Comment there from Antonin Julier from Citigroup on charges that Mr. Draghi has so far uh, talked a lot, but hasn't done all that much on quantitative easing. Well, our guests on the program include, as I mentioned, Richard Lancaster, CEO of CLP Holdings. We'll be talking about their earnings report. Alex Wong from Ample Capital will join us for a look at markets. We'll also talk to Conrad Wong of Yao Li Holdings about a move to promote greener buildings in Hong Kong. And we'll find out why California food producers are seeking to raise their profile in Asia. Joining us for that discussion is Jeff Williamson, who is Director of California State Trade and Exports Promotion. We will, in a matter of minutes, tell you about Asian markets, uh, and it looks like a pretty uh, bullish tone in the early trade so far. So we'll come to that in just a moment. As we highlighted earlier, growth stalled in the Eurozone. Germany slammed into reverse, and France ground to a halt. Zero growth in the 18-country block in the three months to the end of June. Germany actually shrank not 0.2%. It had been up 0.7% in the first three months. Let's go back to Mr. Julier from Citigroup. He's not too concerned. Bad news can be good news. Um, we, we had the first announcements on potential QE back in June. Uh, we do expect more announcement on ABS purchases in September. And then by the end of the year, beginning of next year, we should get larger scale asset purchases. So to some extent, seeing a slowdown and a confirmation of the slowdown we expected, if anything, will bring most likely more liquidity from the ECB, especially if it's starting to touch the core of Europe, i.e. Germany. 
It was odd for investors to see the yield on the 10-year bun down below 1%. Mr. Garzarelli, though, doesn't think they'll stay there. In fact, he thinks they'll move back up. They do double. They go to 2%, which is the rate of inflation that the ECB targets. So what's happening here, I think, are two things. One is, uh, obviously, you have this geopolitical tension. Uh, the DAX has been one of the big underperformers, and that may be tied to this uh, rally in, uh, in the, in the bond market. I think primarily you have monetary policy. I mean, the, the ECB has cut rates to zero, uh, negative on the deposit, and the voiceover of these moves has been, we're not going to hike them until 2016. And the market has taken that quite literally, if you look at the forwards. And, and so the whole curve has just uh, rolled, uh, been steamrolled by, by these expectations. In any case, um, European stocks moved up overnight, about a half of a percent. The S&P 500 rose to a two-week high. Russia's comments about not wanting to be isolated encouraged investors and moved risk to the back uh, into the on position. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway traded above $200,000 for the first time. In the end, the S&P 500 up 0.4 percent, the Dow gaining 61 points to 16,713. The dollar higher, the euro slightly down. The euro remains volatile because the positioning is quite short from a tactical point of view. But we think dancers are short-lived and should be sold into and, and the euro should go lower. Again, that is Antonine Julier from Citigroup. So here's how the numbers read at the moment. The euro slipping a little to $1.33. The dollar is trading at 102.52 Japanese yen. And the pound down under 13 Hong Kong dollars now. It's been up there for quite a while. Now 12 Hong Kong dollars and 93 cents. I mentioned that oil fell again. Brent crude is down from $116 now to 102. And it looks like it could drop even further. So Brent crude, $102 seven cents gold thirteen hundred thirteen dollars an ounce first we say good morning to alex wong of ample capital alex good morning good morning so crunch through the markets a little bit some interesting developments overnight and the earnings in hong kong out yesterday i interpreted as reasonably positive did you Oh yes, uh, I think uh, we saw some um, encouraging earnings um, from Tencent, and even China Mobile is okay. Um, so um, sentiment here was um, a little bit cautious uh, in view of that because uh, yesterday we saw some um, resistance around twenty five thousand, and actually we saw some selling in the afternoon. So uh, despite those uh, positive earnings, actually people um, were a little bit hesitated uh, hesitate to, to to push the market higher. So the earnings tell you that the economy is doing okay, or at least these companies are managing their way through uh, the economy. Um, but it seems like you're saying that around twenty five thousand could be um, could be the top for the near term for the Hang Seng Index. Uh, it really depends on the performance in Asia, because right now uh, I think uh, the performance in Asia was uh, below expectation. Uh, it had been. Um, uh, supporters for some time and people had been calling for a higher share market but uh, the market failed to much much higher and find some resistance so uh, right now I think uh, the performance in Hong Kong is more linked to the Asian market performance instead of the overseas uh, uh, markets so um, right now Hong Kong probably would uh, consolidate uh, below 25,000 for a while but I think uh, the odds uh, should still be um, uh, up, an upside break what do you think the main factors are behind the recent uh, lift in stock prices? Uh, 
One is um, the positive uh, earnings seasons, and then actually we saw some um, strength in the overseas market again uh, after the easing concern on those geopolitical issues. And then uh, another is uh, the um, uh, connection between Hong Kong and uh, the Shanghai market later on. Yeah, so that's something that people are anticipating. Uh, however, the quotas are not that high. But you think this just generally, it's increasing fund flows into Hong Kong. Oh, that should be positive because uh, actually the quota would be enough because we uh, bo- people on both sides would not be too familiar with uh, the stocks on on the other side. But uh, probably people would concentrate on trading on those familiar names. Like uh, we would like to buy some insurance company in the Asia market and. And people from China probably would like to buy BYD or or um, uh, China Mobile or Tencent in Hong Kong. So uh, in the in the first phases, I think uh, in the first phase, I think people probably would just concentrate on familiar names. So quota um, not too much is okay. Is the economy doing okay? Uh, actually, Hong Kong uh, has shown some signs of a slowdown, but I think uh, right now people are playing on expectation and and hopefully um, the financial market will be revived by the, these uh, new measures. So I think uh, expectations is is um, is uh, positive, but uh, actually the performance has been lacking. Comments from uh, High San and also Swire Properties, uh, I would think could be interpreted as fairly encouraging because they seem to suggest that rentals uh, are now and would stay firm. And Haisan was even saying that it felt it could raise rentals in the malls. Uh, does that indicate to you that they're at least confident that the mainland visitors will continue to come? Um, we know those numbers have dropped a little bit, but that you know, r- retail sales can stay reasonably strong. Um, actually, retail sales had been... Um Dragged down by the um, seasonal factors. Last year we we have very strong sales in uh, in gold, so that's why we had a very high base. I think uh, this this year probably uh, we will see some slow uh, some some um, uh, fact, uh, number which are not too strong. But I think uh, in the in general sense, I think the overall trend remains okay, and I think uh, the rental probably would 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 still stay high uh, because. You can see uh, more is uh, more resilient in this kind of downturn. And if um, if not uh, just retail sales, um, what makes the Hong Kong economy move and tick along uh, the best in your view? I think uh, still um, the upcoming uh, connection between Hong Kong and Shanghai market because uh, what, uh, that probably would have uh, would provide some driver to to the economy because the financial market had been uh, in a very low volatility and low in, uh, turnover uh, for quite some time in Hong Kong and that actually is affecting the um, economy if you count into the multiplier effect. So uh, hopefully that measure I think uh, would boost up the market volume and volatility. So you mentioned um, quite a number of stocks that mainlanders would like to buy here. Um, what do you think fund managers here will be focusing on the most with A shares as they look to buy in Shanghai? Uh, big names, actually. Financial stocks uh, in the meantime, uh, in the first phase, and also those uh, um, cement stocks because they are trading at a much lower valuation than Hong Kong and also property, mainland property in China. Wouldn't you think that the banks uh, could rally from here, the big mainland banks, because they're priced so low, it looks like investors have more or less decided that you're not going to see an implosion in the property sector in China. And we see, by virtue of the fact that so much money is rolled into Hong Kong anyway, that people are looking for um, value, and those bank stocks offer value. 
Um, yeah, but uh, people are cautious because uh, of the uh, the debt concern. But I think uh, situations have improved a little bit. But the, in Hong Kong, actually, is uh, uh, usually trading at higher than the Asia um, uh, comparable. So that's why uh, probably Hong Kong banking stocks uh, would not perform too much uh, in the meantime. But uh, we would see some interest flowing in the Asia uh, bank sector later on. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Macau because mm. the revenues uh, have been down a bit and people are speculating that the anti-corruption drive is a big part of that. Yet yesterday, the stocks were pretty firm. What's happening with the gaming shares? Uh, actually, they are consolidating within a very big triangle on the chart. So uh, every time uh, they got some bad news, they got sold down. And then um, after a while, they recover because uh, fundamentally they are not too bad. Uh, tourist arrival remains okay. Um, and revenue actually uh, would not grow at the fast pace we have seen uh, in the past few years, but remains okay. So uh, people are not too bullish or bearish. They just trade on news. Uh, every time when some bad news coming out, um, the impact may, may not be too short, uh, too long term, and then um, actually uh, they could be recover a little bit. But I think uh, uh, after um, so many times of uh, bouncing uh, up and down, the momentum would be would be slower. So I think uh, they probably would be stuck within a range because last time. Actually, the, the, the sell-off was triggered by the increasing cost concern, which I think would account for only around 1% or 2% of the net earnings. So that, I think the sell-off had been a little bit exaggerated. Yeah, if you have costs going up and revenues down, uh, you know that, that should actually hurt uh, profits. Uh, um, but you say that um, it's not so much uh, to worry mm. about. Um, what would you say are the most exciting stories at the moment? What are you as an investor uh, looking at the most uh, closely? Oh, actually, I'm uh, buying on some uh, names uh, which I think uh, would be boosted by the uh, mainland investor later on and also probably would get some uh, index inclusion uh, uh, next month uh, in, uh, actually into, into the FTSE. So I like uh, Hang On, I like um, BYD and China Oil, uh, Oil Fuel Services because they had been uh, – uh, strong performance in Hong Kong, and they are they are actually um uh, they are liked by funds, and actually they are well managed. I think uh, probably these stocks uh, would have some um performance uh, would, would would perform uh, in the in the next one one month time frame. Okay, Alex, thank you for joining us on Money for Nothing. Much appreciated. Alex Wong, Ample Capital, live with us in our studios uh, in Admiralty. Well, we've got Richard Lancaster coming up in just a moment, the chief executive officer of CLP Holdings. But I would like to uh, talk for just a moment about uh, some other geopolitical developments. In Iraq, Nouri al-Maliki has stepped down as prime minister. It paves the way for a new coalition government there. Mr. Maliki ended eight years of sectarian rule, often divisive rule. He endorsed fellow Shiite leader Haider al-Abadi. President Obama was pleased with that and also with the end of the siege on Mount Sinjar. The bottom line is is that uh, the situation on the mountain has greatly improved, and Americans should be very proud of our efforts. Uh, Because of the skill and professionalism of our military and the generosity of our people, we broke uh, the ISIL siege of Mount Sinjar, we helped vulnerable people reach safety, and we helped save many innocent lives. And also on the geopolitical front, new figures showing the Eurozone's two biggest economies, France and Germany, performed pretty badly in the second quarter of the year. The BBC's Gavin Hewitt has details. Recovery in the Eurozone came to a halt in the three months to June. The main reasons were Germany and France. 
The German economy shrank by 0.2%, although the underlying picture is still robust. The French economy, however, remains stagnant. The government in Paris today cut its growth forecast in half, down to 0.5% for the year. It also means it will miss its target, agreed with the European Commission, for cutting its budget deficit. The French are calling for more flexibility in reducing deficits. Italy, the Eurozone's third largest economy, is back in recession. There are now fears that growth in the Eurozone for the year as a whole will be less than 1%. There are also concerns that sanctions against Russia over Ukraine will weaken some economies further, particularly Germany, which is already seeing a fall in its exports to Russia. Today's figures will increase pressure on the European Central Bank to do more. Some countries are looking to the ECB for more monetary stimulus. But the Italian Prime Minister Matteo Renzi said today, the problem is that the whole Eurozone is going through a phase of stagnation. Asian markets are slightly higher now. The Nikkei is up seven points uh, at 15,321. We do see a modest uh, move downward in Australia. The ASX 200 down two points at 5540. Well, CLP Holdings profit beat analyst expectations, rising 22.4% in the first half of the year. But revenue for the period fell 8.9%, dragged down by a softer demand for electricity in Australia. The company said the improved operating profit result was mainly attributable to lower depreciation and amortization. We'll be able to get uh, some of that fleshed out now by the chief executive officer of CLP, Richard Lancaster, who joins us in our studios. Richard, good morning. Good morning, Brian. So, so one of the things that um, everybody picked up on first was the fact that uh, due to some falling uh, prices of energy that uh, you'll be able to raise tariffs by less than expected uh, in the next year. Um, can you flesh that out for us? Yes, we uh, made a projection of our longer-term tariff profile at the end of last year when we submitted our development plan to the Hong Kong government. Uh, now, that projection is based on uh, estimates of fuel prices, and uh, we have seen some lowering in coal prices uh, in the first half of this year. But uh, more importantly, we've been doing a lot of work to make sure that we are getting our fuel costs as low as we can. And by importing a little bit more nuclear power from our Dia Bay plant in the mainland, by uh, acquiring some uh, or, or, or sourcing some a uh, little bit cheaper gas from uh, the South China Sea, we've been able to manage our fuel costs down. And those savings that we've generated will be passed through to customers in form of a lower than expected tariff increase. So does that, does that mean that the Hainan Reserve that uh, you referred to there by saying you got lower net gas prices there than, than through China, um, is there a, a bigger reservoir available to you there, um, more than what you thought? No, there are some small gas reservoirs that we've been working with our supplier to uh, to tap into, and uh, those provide a little bit of short-term relief, and uh, the pricing of that gas is uh, is lower than uh, the other source of gas we have from the West to East Gas Pipeline. Yeah, does it mean, though, that um, this will be sustainable, that not only next year but in ensuing years you'll be able to keep prices lower than what you thought? Well, we are working very hard to get the uh, to access uh, low-priced gas, and uh, longer term, Hong Kong will need new supplies of gas. Uh, we we are working on those, but they will take some time to materialise. In the meantime, we're doing everything we can to keep uh, our gas price as low as possible. Uh, the, the the other factor to consider is that more the more imports we have from Dia Bay. Uh, the lower our, our total energy cost is. 
and also if we can get better performance out of our coal-fired power plant and, and have that operating to better environmental standards, then that means that we can use a little bit more coal and less gas, which also helps lower our fuel costs. You've seen the big move down in oil prices in, uh, in Brent crude and also in West Texas Intermediate. Now, I know that um, oil directly um, doesn't have such a big effect on you, but it, it does indicate that uh, either demand is doing that or productivity. Uh, and doesn't that have an overall effect bringing down costs generally for you? Well, uh, so a large part of our costs relate to fuel, and uh, whether it's the the price of oil, which tends to be an indicator of fuel prices generally, uh, those lower fuel prices uh, we, we pass directly through to customers in the form of lower tariffs. But uh, another major part of our cost is just the equipment that we have to purchase uh, for uh, supply of electricity, and uh, most of that comes from overseas, so it's not necessarily related to the, to, to the price of oil. The, the other factor is construction costs in Hong Kong, and uh, with the large amount of infrastructure going into Hong Kong, that is putting pressure on construction costs on Hong Kong. So in a number of areas, we have to work very hard to, to keep costs as low as possible. You certainly must have controlled costs pretty well because you've got profits up 22.4% in the figures that I quoted there, while revenue was actually down 8.9%. Where did those productivity gains come from? Well, uh, yes, it's a, it's a matter of doing more with, uh, with less in terms of revenue. Uh, the, the revenue largely came from Australia, where uh, we have seen a very mild winter. Now, that's been uh, offset somewhat by, uh, in contrast, Hong Kong, where we've seen a very hot summer. And uh, energy demand is very much uh, weather dependent. So with the lower revenue in Australia, uh, with um, a reduction in depreciation that arose from uh, the, the impairments that we had to make at the end of last year, with efforts to control our, uh, our, our costs, and in particular our billing system in Australia, where we've been operating on two billing systems uh, while we're working to integrate uh, 1.4 million customers coming from New South Wales uh, with our Energy Australia acquisition uh, onto one single billing system. Um, that, that will see some further reductions in our costs in 2015. Because so, people, people listening, Richard, would say, you know, they, they, they mistrust the big corporates. You know that. Um, and obviously with the two big energy corporates here controlled by two families, uh, people would say, look, if you can control costs that well, that you can raise profits that much, even with revenue falling, why can't you keep my electricity prices down more? We uh, have some of the lowest electricity prices in Hong Kong um, compared to any major metropolitan city around the world. And uh, we, we have achieved that despite the fact that we uh, import all our energy into Hong Kong. Uh, we have a very uh, dense uh, urban area in Hong Kong where land costs are high. So uh, there is a lot that can be done to reduce costs. And, and I think Hong Kong is an example where we have shown that with uh, – with uh, uh, you know, efficiency, uh, with good, good planning, good technology uh, and efficient use of resources, we can see uh, costs coming down uh, lower. Australia, by contrast, we have seen quite high retail costs. Now, a lot of that has come through uh, p uh, policies which have imposed taxes on energy. Uh, we have a market structure where there is demand for energy is falling and there is an oversupply in capacity. So there are some inefficiencies in the, in the market structure in Australia. 
so I think uh, when you look at our group as a whole, we have seen an improved performance in, in India. We are seeing improvements in our performance in Australia, and those have been the two uh, areas that we've had to pay most uh, attention on in the last uh, year. Uh, our China business is performing very well, and our Hong Kong business has uh, growth. Uh, it is performing well, and we are seeing cost reductions here, which are, we are passing through in the form of lower tariffs. And when you look at the fuel mix um, and that uh, consultation, uh, how, do you, how do you think that will actually move? And if you could also, because we have a few more minutes here, uh, if you could also explain CLP's uh, position. Well, the consultation that the Hong Kong government uh, uh, launched earlier this year was really around how energy supply um, should be provided to Hong Kong in the longer term. Uh, The two choices that were outlined were to generate more electricity in Hong Kong or the alternative was to import power from the mainland. Uh, We we see that longer term, Hong Kong and the mainland should be closely integrated from an energy perspective. Uh, We do already source a lot of our energy from the mainland and uh, from a long-term planning point of view, that, that makes sense for us. But in the near term, we are seeing demand for electricity growing And the best way to meet that growing demand will be by uh, clean, uh, efficient gas-fired generation in Hong Kong. And so, and you also um, have a higher profit margin on that energy than you would if it's imported. Well, not necessarily, and that's not how we approach this. We look at it from the point of view of what's the right energy mix uh, for Hong Kong. What's what's right for Hong Kong? Uh, it should be first and foremost in our thinking. And you think it'll just be a lot cleaner if we generate it here? It'll be cleaner and uh, we will ensure that uh, we have a reliable supply because we will have enough generating capacity to ensure that we can meet our needs. In terms of the macroeconomic outlook, um, looking at your business, uh, how do you feel about um, the regional and global economy at the moment? We see uh, a lot of opportunities. Uh, We see uh, growth in our core market in Hong Kong with new infrastructure uh, coming through with the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge and the new railway uh, systems that are being uh, developed here. But uh, we also have a very strong presence in China and India, the two uh, most populous nations on earth that are uh, looking at increasing their uh, supply of energy and uh, doing it in a in a clean and affordable way. And uh, that that's where CLP has uh, a competitive advantage in that we have uh, the, the know-how in uh, a range of clean technologies. We have a presence in India and China, and I think we have uh, established for ourselves a very good platform to, to take uh, advantage of those opportunities. Are there some new markets you're looking at? Uh, we have been focused on Southeast Asia, and uh, we, uh, we look at China and India as, as two very promising markets for us uh, where we have a strong presence. Uh, we are looking at uh, uh, developments in Vietnam, and uh, we also have a presence in Taiwan where we, we have uh, potential for expansion as well. So, yes, we are looking at new markets, but we'll be very focused on those markets. Okay, Richard, thank you very much for joining us on Money for Nothing. Always a pleasure. Richard Lancaster, Chief Executive Officer of CLP Holdings. This is Money for Nothing. The news is coming up shortly. Let's get a check of the markets here and uh, how they're moving at the moment. Uh, the Nikkei is down 22 points now, so moving from slightly higher, slightly lower. But Australia has turned around rather dramatically, up a half a percent now with the ASX 200 of 28 points at 55.71. Weather-wise, uh, look out for some sunshine and a chance of showers with the weather getting better as we get towards the weekend. The news coming up next.
News with Samantha Butler. The embattled Prime Minister of Iraq, Nouri al-Maliki, has said he'll step aside and make way for his nominated replacement, Haider al-Abadi. In an address broadcast live on state television, Mr al-Maliki pledged support for his successor. The BBC's Jim Muir reports. Mr Maliki said his eight years in office had been spent combating a mounting wave of terrorism and subversion. He insisted he had stuck to the law and avoided violence even when he came under personal attack. But now he said he didn't want to be the cause for the shedding of a single drop of blood. He announced that he was withdrawing his claim on the Prime Minister's office in favour of his designated successor, Hyder al-Abadi. There had been fears that Mr Maliki might use the power bases built up through his control of the armed forces to try to stay in power. President Obama has said U.S. airstrikes have broken the siege of a mountain in northern Iraq where thousands of members of the Yazidi religious sect had taken refuge from the threat of jihadists. From Washington, here's Radio Australia's Michael Vincent. The U.S. says every night thousands of Yazidis have been fleeing the mountain. President Barack Obama says American airstrikes against Islamic State militants have been successful in allowing those people to escape. We broke the ISIL siege of Mount Sinjar. We helped vulnerable people reach safety and we helped save many innocent lives. Barack Obama says elsewhere the situation remains dire for Iraqis subject to Islamic State's terror. He says wherever possible, the US will continue to work with international partners to provide humanitarian assistance to those who are suffering. It's been revealed the actor Robin Williams, who apparently took his own life this week, was suffering from the early stages of Parkinson's disease, along with anxiety and depression. The actor's wife, Susan Schneider, said Robin Williams, who'd previously battled an addiction to drugs and alcohol, had been living a sober life at the time of his death. Robin's sobriety was intact, and he was brave as he struggled with his own battles of depression, anxiety, as well as early stages of Parkinson's disease, which he was not yet ready to share publicly. It is our hope, in the wake of Robin's tragic passing, that others will find the strength to seek the care and support they need to treat whatever battles they're facing, so they may feel less afraid. Nigeria has recorded a fourth death from the deadly Ebola outbreak. Health officials confirmed another nurse who had contact with the first Ebola case to occur in Nigeria has died in Lagos. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. This is Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis reporting, and you're listening to Radio 3. Some of the top stories we've been following on the business and finance side this morning. Hong Kong company earnings coming in better than expected. Russia's president is saying that the country shouldn't isolate itself. That sort of cheered markets overnight. But Germany's economy went into reverse mode and actually contracted in the second quarter, and the yield on the 10-year Bund dropped down below 1%. First time that's happened in some 200 years. So those are some of the stories. You do see markets slightly higher in Asia, although the Nikkei is just a little under the start line um, as we speak. We'll get to some of those other stories uh, later, including Conrad Wong, vice chairman of Yali Holdings, will join us. We'll be talking with Conrad about green buildings in Hong Kong. And Jeff Williamson, director of California State Trade and Exports Promotion, will be with us as well, looking at trade between California and Hong Kong. 
Well, in the news, a baby is fighting for his life at Queen Mary Hospital. The baby was delivered by emergency cesarean after his mother was killed by a falling tree. The 37-year-old woman was walking along Robinson Road in the mid-levels when she was crushed by a 15-meter Indian oak tree that was said to be rotten. Her boy had no heartbeat when he was born, but is now breathing with the help of a ventilator. The head of the neonatal unit at Chinese University's Department of Pediatrics, Professor P.C. Ng, spoke with RTHK about the baby's prognosis. I think the survival really depends on how long has this hypoxic ischemic episode lasted for. If it lasted for a long time, then obviously um, most of the vital organs, such as the brain, uh, the heart, uh, the kidneys, uh, as well as the uh, intestinal tract will all suffer from the same effect of um, not getting enough oxygen and accumulation of toxic metabolites. And the baby's heart had stopped by the time he was delivered. How much of a factor is that? Uh, all depends on how, how long has it been stopped for. I think the timing is the most important thing. If the baby's heart has stopped for, for quite a while, let's for example... Uh, over 15 minutes, then obviously um, the uh, prognosis of the chance of um, a permanent uh, uh, insult to the brain is um, going to be very likely, and also whether the baby is able to survive the whole process uh, is ha- have to be in doubt. Pediatrics professor P.C. Ung speaking with RTHK's Cecil Wong. Meantime, University of Hong Kong tree expert Professor Jim Chi Yong has inspected the toppled Indian oak tree. Mike Weeks asked him what he found. The base of the tree is uh, very badly uh, decayed and uh, it, has, it suffers from two kinds of decay. One is causing the uh, wood to almost like uh, disintegrate. And then the other is making the wood uh, very brittle. And as a result, the, uh, the tree at its trunk base um, lost its mechanical strength and it cannot no longer support its own weight. And, and therefore, it, it broke and then it fell down. Was this uh, rot that you found in the center of the tree or would it have been obvious if you'd inspected the tree as it stood? shattered the base of the trunk almost completely and it's difficult to tell whether there were external or visual clues telling us that the tree is in distress but um, looking at the very advanced stage of the decay I would think that there should be some external symptoms telling us that the tree is very badly rotted and at it, a very critical position of the tree. And it was on private property, wasn't it? So were there any other clues that it, it might not have been uh, properly managed or properly sited? Um, it, the tree is situated on a remnant slope, a very small piece of remnant, remnant slope, about uh, three metres wide and six metres long. And it's elevated at about three metres above the uh, road level. And at that level, uh, from uh, I mean, uh, this, if you inspect it at, at the street to side, it, it may be difficult to tell. So you need someone to really go up to the to the slope to inspect it carefully. 
and uh, because it is in uh, private law, uh, it is the uh, landowner's responsibility to take care of the tree, and I suppose they should have um, employed some um, professional uh, tree inspectors to, to uh, take a look at the tree from time to time. That's University of Hong Kong tree expert Professor Jim Chi Young. The Law Society has passed a motion of no confidence in its president, Ambrose Lam. He had been widely criticized by members for backing Beijing's contentious white paper in June. The white paper asserted the central government's authority over Hong Kong and it classified judges as administrators. Mr. Lam said he respects the outcome, but he refused to say whether he would step down. During the extraordinary general meeting, members also passed two other motions. One calling for Mr. Lam to retract his comments on the white paper. And secondly, for the society to issue a statement pledging to uphold judicial independence. Law Society member Kelvin Yam, or rather Kevin Yam, initiated the motions. He told our Hugh Cheverton the outcome was unexpected. If we look at past records of, of say, uh, annual general meetings or extraordinary general meetings where anything contentious came up, those who were uh, backing the status quo, so to speak, whatever the topic might be, uh, uh, tended to have had the ability to uh, collect a mountain of proxies uh, to defeat any uh, quote-unquote challenge uh, to the status quo. And, and so that's why the result was that was completely unexpected. Why do you think those didn't materialise then? I think... Um, uh, number of factors. I, th- I think, first of all, uh, it, it's probably the case that, uh, uh, well, it's certainly the case that Mr. Lamb went too far, uh, given his you know, record, quote-unquote, so to speak, since October last year on, on making very politicised comments and in refusing to speak English when interviewed, when interviewed by reporters, all that sort of thing. Uh, that angered a lot of members. Uh, secondly, I think to the extent that, you know, and it's easy for me to say that now looking back, but uh, to the extent that people felt that they were being put under pressure uh, by outside forces, uh, that uh, things may have got to such an extent that uh, there was a bit of a rebound against that. Mm. Uh, if Ambrose Lamb doesn't resign, what will you do? What will happen? Okay. Uh, now, under the Law Society's Articles of Association, there is no uh, mechanism for a president to, to be impeached, so to speak. So right now, uh, either we expect him to do the honourable thing. If he does not, then uh, we, we would look to counsel to exercise its powers to select a president and, uh, and, and hope that they would do the honourable thing. Now, if they, if they do not, then uh, it will become a matter for members what they want to do next. It's certainly not a, a matter for myself or, or any core supporters of the, this current round of EGM. 
That's Kevin Yam from the Law Society speaking earlier this morning with Hugh Chiverton. Pan-Democratic lawmakers have issued an alternative report on political reform. It comes ahead of their meetings over the next few days with the director of Beijing's liaison office, Zhang Xiaoming. They said the government report on the five-month public consultation on reform was misleading and biased, and they said that their report is a more accurate reflection of society's desires. Mike Weeks asked Democratic Party lawmaker Xin Zhonggai if the alternative report really reflects the majority of views in society. I think uh, we, we thought uh, uh, the uh, chief executive's report is not uh, comprehensive or is not embraceable enough to include all sections of the society. Um, we actually uh, 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 emphasize that you know, there's a strong and, uh, desire for a genuine uh, true democracy in Hong Kong, uh, elections without uh, a screening process. While, you know, the government, unrouse Beijing's uh, sources uh, have been leaking out uh, this few days that, you know, a screening process will be installed for the nominating process, which I think um, we have the urgency to, to stop such a screening process. Uh, by proposed by Beijing's uh, authorities. But did your report also reflect that um, a recent opinion poll showed that more than half the people here would accept any sort of uh, a proposal on political reform or one that included a screening process, provided we did get one man, one vote by 2017? Well, uh, that report uh, will be... Uh, that report uh, 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 is one of the opinion polls, and uh, we did uh, have included a, a series of... Uh, opinion poll, which showed the three tracks models, three tracks uh, nominating model received most, most support from uh, all uh, proposal, proposals. So I think we need to emphasize that, you know, uh, different ways and different means of uh, uh, nominating process, which allows a different opinion of the uh, society can nominate a, a different uh, a representative to be the chief executive candidate. Your, uh, the Democratic Party's leader, Emily Lau, says uh, pan-Democrats will stand firm on the call for a three-track nomination process, but surely politics is the art of compromise. So what are you willing to give up to reach a deal in talks with Jiang, Jiang Xiaoming? I think that the bottom line is, uh, you know, we, sh- we, we, we should uh, stick to the international standard, which is, you know, which is, you know uh, the nominating process is uh, without unnecessary or unreasonable, you know, uh, uh, stoppage or hindrance to uh, nominate any uh, any person in the society. Xin Zhonggai from the Democratic Party speaking early this morning on Hong Kong Today. The time is now 15 minutes before 9 o'clock. You're listening to Money for Nothing. Well, it's summertime and the temptation is to crank up the air conditioners. Our next guest has some ideas on how we can stay cool while lessening the negative impacts on the environment. Green buildings that use energy-saving technology and avoid wasteful practices are an important step. We're joined by Conrad Wong, Vice Chairman of Yao Li Holdings. Conrad, good morning. Good morning to you. Yes, thank you for coming in. Are we known for green buildings here in Hong Kong? Are we known? Yes, we are. Uh, we actually, when Hong Kong is one of the early places, has established our own green building standard, which we call Hong Kong BIM, back in 1996. But now we refine the system, it's called BIM Plus nowadays. So this is something uh, comparable or similar to the LEEDS uh, uh, standard in the United States? Yes, internationally there are many different standards, but we naturally measure similar things in the similar categories, but with different emphasis on local climate aspect. For example, Hong Kong, we put a lot of emphasis on energy saving. 
So what are some of the other key criteria in uh, this standard? Uh, water consumptions, uh, site aspect, how do you choose your site? Is it uh, convenience located, um, indoor quality, um, innovations, material use? Those mainly are the six different aspects that we measure green buildings. Is High Sand Place an example of a green Very building? Very much. Uh, they receive our Platinum Award. Well, the reason being is um, they design a building in such a way that they actually create this funnel effect. So they, they're actually enhancing the air circulation for the entire Causeway Bay. So putting a building there, when you think, you know, it's blocking the air, but in fact, they design it in such a way that they enhance the airflow. So that's really one of our classic green buildings in Hong Kong. What are some of the other good buildings? Well, the other one will be uh, Holiday Inn Express in Shangwan. Um, this hotel managed to cut down nearly close to 60% of the energy compared to or average hotel in Hong Kong. So now there are technology that you'll be able for you to cut down energy consumption, but without lowering your thermal comforts. So you're saying that a building uh, of the same size uh, and relatively same build would consume 60% more energy That's than correct. that Holiday Inn That's correct. simply because of the way that the Holiday Inn uh, hotel was designed. Um, since the ho- how the hotel been designed it, uh, from the facade treatment to the AC system they're, they're using, um, all the different lighting equipments. And amazingly, now just so technology is available in such a way that the cost of this investment, the payback period is within four, four and five years. So it's actually commercially is very doable. Hmm. So we've got the Hong Kong Green Building Week of 2014. What's that all about? Well, with the Hong Kong Green Building Council, we've been promoting um, all these green practices to our building professionals, like architects, engineers, surveyors. But we come to the point that we need to outreach. So we're not just focusing on the building profession anymore. We want to, you know, the general public to understand what green building is. So that's why from last year onwards, we're actually targeting different campaigns, mainly to try to let the general public understand what green building is about. So for this year, for example, one of our major campaigns will be our mini electrical. So we are teaching young people really debate in electrical and certain, you know, green, green topics. So they really know how the policy are being formed. Uh, another program we are, we are doing right now so we cooperate with Green Monday so not only on Monday you eat green but you dress green you go to your office green so the whole lifestyle become become green is this being led by the private sector or the government? We know the government launched a green buildings policy back in 2011. Uh, uh, but is that are they providing the lead, or do you think that the private sector is? Well, it's basically, our council is providing the lead, and uh, but of course we work with other. We we have to work with other associations and try to bring the, all this message to to home, basically, because everybody need need to understand this. In Hong Kong, ninety uh, percent of our energy actually power the buildings, which represents sixty percent of our carbon emissions. So, if we really want to crack down the carbon emission problem, we must tackle green buildings. Are developers very keen on this idea? Um, uh, yes, they are, some of them. Does uh, it, I mean, does it drive up the costs? Uh, in other words, is it a lot more expensive to build a green building? Well, if you do the building in a life cycle manner, so we just do not look at the cost of the construction, but the entire life cycle, there are many, many evidence that shown that green building actually cheaper 
to build and operate your life cycle prospectus. But of course, initially, you may need to invest maybe 4 or 5% more, but the, 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 the payback are very substantial. Are there many incentives for uh, developers to build We are these? talking to the government trying to give more in- incentives, especially for the existing buildings. Uh, now, new buildings, uh, you have this uh, 10% GFA exemption, so you won't have you know, uh, the green features put in the, the GFA. You have to go through our BIM assessment system. But uh, we are talking to the government to see how can we incentivize to beat the developers for the existing building, because that is a bulk of the stock. How do we compare with other jurisdictions in Asia? Oh, we are not doing bad at all. I think we are pretty, pretty forefront. Uh, a lot of uh, cities now, we're looking at Hong Kong, see how we operate a city. We are actually doing quite efficiently, uh, especially the way that we integrate uh, our MTL system into property development. That's a very good economic and uh, carbon-saved model for transportations. So there are many other cities in Asia looking up to Hong Kong. But of course, we have room to improve. Is there almost an incentive then to encourage um, urban renewal and to put green buildings up in place of buildings that were built with different standards maybe decades ago? Well, that's true. Um, but as the uh, green building technology move al- along, now we, we are improving our data in a daily basis. So hopefully the, the building that we pull up is much better than we put up 10 years ago. And if we come up with a good incentive program that we can really uh, revisit the building we've been building the last 20 years and make it you know, more modernized again. What are some of the best ways to retrofit a building uh, rather than tear it down and build a new one that might be considered more green? Well, for example, you can have a, another facade done. Now the double-gazing facade, that's really much more energy-efficient than, than ever before. Uh, now you have a water-cooled chiller, you have air-cooled chiller, which the efficiency rate can go up to as much as no 30-40%. So with this modern technology and equipments, then you can easily save, you know, I would say, you know, between 30 to 40% of energy consumption for, for the buildings. Okay, so you're part of the council, but what, what does Yao Li Holdings do? Well, my, my company is, uh, is a major contractor in Hong Kong. We're main contractor in Hong Kong. We build buildings, um, mainly government government buildings, government offices. Uh, we do also do renovation and, uh, and uh, different green buildings. Are you trying to focus more on green buildings uh, than, we, say, we accepting are. contracts from people who... We definitely are. Yeah. And, and in a lot of uh, tenders, especially for government tender nowadays, we can actually put in what we call innovation items, which means that you can, you can add on certain uh, green, me- green measures, but of course with a price tag, and then the government uh, official can decide to adopt it or not. So this, in this such a way that we can actually promote green building more. You know, sometimes people think that um, in Hong Kong, particularly sometimes from government, that we talk a lot, but we don't always deliver. Would you say this is an example that we are actually delivering on? I think we are. I think we are indeed. Um, Because, uh, as I said before, um, energy consumption for buildings are major contributors in carbon emission in Hong Kong. So we have really no choice but to tackle the uh, energy consumption problem in Hong Kong. And uh, the government realized the, the issue. I think the, the general public is not quite there yet. But in a in professional point of view, we all understand how important green building is in terms of you know, combating the, the climate change problem in Hong Kong. So apart from large buildings, what about the average homeowner? You know, what are a couple of key steps that they can take to make their flat more green? Well, switch off the unnecessary air conditioning units, uh, the unnecessary lighting. Uh, there are devices nowadays you can, you can put in, in store, not that expensive, that you can, like a motion sensor. So when you're not there, you know, just, just switch off all the, all the equipments. And now you can, you can save more water. There are a lot of devices you can use to save water. So those are the things that you 
easily be implemented. Uh, in in the summertime, you don't need to really uh, to you know, put on your air condition to 19 degrees Celsius. You put it to, to 23, 24 degrees. It's still very comfortable. All right, Conrad. Uh, like an upbeat guest like that, and the message is good. So I think people probably enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Conrad Wong, Vice Chairman of Yaoli Holdings, talking about Hong Kong Green Building Week of 2014 and how you can become more green. Well, the time is now six minutes before nine o'clock. We continue with Money for Nothing, looking at more news. British police have searched the homes of pop star Cliff Richard as part of an investigation into alleged historical sex offenses that go back against a child under the age of 16. Sir Cliff was not at home when police arrived at his home in Berkshire, but he swiftly dismissed the allegations as completely false. Earlier, Hugh Chiverton asked our UK correspondent Gavin Gray for some details on these allegations. They are basically that uh, uh, Cliff Richard is alleged to have in some way assaulted a boy under the age of uh, 16 while uh, he was attending a 1985 rally held by the U.S. evangelist preacher Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham held a highly successful tour of the U.K., and part of that tour visited the Sheffield Stadium that this attack is alleged to have happened in. Now, uh, as I said, it was a boy aged under 16 at the time, uh, and therefore the allegations would in theory now be being made by a man in his 40s. As you say, uh, Sir Cliff Richard has released a statement calling the allegation completely false, but saying he will cooperate fully with a police investigation. He was not in the United Kingdom at the time that his home to the west of London in Berkshire was searched. I think he also mentioned that uh, the press seemed to have learnt of this before he did. Yes, it's a very interesting thing uh, in that uh, part of his statement says, and here's a quote from it, um, the police attended my apartment in Berkshire today without notice, except it would appear, to the press. Now, that's a real barbed comment. And, and uh, what he's basically saying is normally when a house is searched, the media are not told who owns the house. Equally, uh, the media are not tending to be tipped off that the police will arrive at the house at a certain time. And yet there were television cameras outside this luxury apartment complex in Sunningdale, about uh, 40 kilometers to the west of London, um, uh, waiting for the police uh, cars. There were eight police in total um, and uh, three from uh, Yorkshire and five from Thames Valley, which covers the uh, Sunningdale area. Uh, and they arrived in these cars and were there for several hours, and, and the press were waiting for them. So obviously, uh, what Sir Cliff Richard is saying, well, hang on, how did they know? Compare that, incidentally, to the early investigations into the paedophile Rolf Harris, uh, where the press all knew that uh, his home was being searched, and yet nobody reported it, saying it was a popular Australian entertainer. A very different approach. That's UK correspondent Gavin Gray, who reports on European matters for RTHK. Well, the survey has found that most employers in Hong Kong are significantly underestimating the importance of giving young staff a clear career path. This would be as an incentive for them to stay in their jobs. A poll of three and a half thousand employers and their young staff born in the 80s or later found that management are too fixated on pay packages. The Continuing Professional Development Alliance conducted the poll. Its chairwoman, Virginia Choi, told RTHK's Wendy Wong there's an expectation gap between employers and their young employees. 
We find out from the employer's point of view, monetary compensation and benefit will be the first uh, uh, number one importance versus, and for the working employee, of course, money and uh, benefit is important. But for the number two uh, ranking, and they will say, would the employer give them the clear and achievable career pay path is also very important as well. This is uh, some of the, the expectation gap and then from the employer's point of view and then when they recruit and retain their staff they think money is very important versus the employees they think I, I need the money but I also need my career path. Another interesting uh, finding that we found about uh, what types of uh, uh, mentoring uh, then that the employee need and this year we found out and the employer uh, realized the supportive uh, mentor is uh, very important versus the employee have the same idea. Why? Because uh, they lack of experience, they need the boss and the company to give them some tips for success. Yeah, so that is Virginia Choi, who is uh, from the Continuing Professional Development Alliance, uh, the chairwoman of that, uh, instructing people to give young people a better chance to um, see the reasons for staying with the company over the longer term. Well, thanks for joining us on the program today. We'll finish up now with uh, some of the market numbers. The Nikkei is down 32 points. Uh, that's down about a fifth of a percent. In Australia, the main index is up, though. It's up about 10 points to 55.53. Look Looking at currencies, the dollar is worth 102.46 yen. You see the pound uh, down under 13 Hong Kong do- dollars now. The pound is at 12 Hong Kong dollars and 93 cents. And the latest reading for the euro, 1.336 against the U.S. dollar. The weather today, mainly fine and hot, apart from isolated showers in the afternoon. The uh, temperatures will be ranging from 27 to 32 degrees. And the humidity levels are between 70 and 90 percent. The outlook for the next few days, mainly fine and very hot. No mention of showers for the next couple of days until we get to uh, Monday. So the weekend looks to be pretty nice. Well, we'll take you out with this one. Coming up next, the news at 9 o'clock. And then after that, the irrepressible Phil Whelan on Morning Brew. Thanks for joining us on Money for Nothing. Come on, y'all.